Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode three of Life Changing Conversations. As promised, our whole of January is going to be dedicated to podcasts about a plant-based lifestyle to support Veganuary. And I'm really, really honored and happy to have with us the co-founder of Veganuary, Matthew Glover, who I've known for a couple of years now. He's a really interesting character, wonderful man. And he's here, he's taking time out of his busy schedule in between being on Radio 5 Live and on this morning on the couch with Eamon to talk to us about his experience and his life-changing moment. So firstly, Matthew, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Welcome to Life-Changing Conversations. Yeah, I mean, thank you for having me on. I can't promise that this will be a life-changing conversation, <laughs> but I will do my best, Neil. So, yeah, it's been uh, it's been a hectic couple of weeks. So, but I'm totally running on uh, sort of adrenaline and plant-based energy. Good. That's what we like to hear. <laughs> so, let's start by telling our listeners what Veganuary actually is, because there's a lot of people who say, "So, what is this all about? Why are we doing this, etc." So, tell us about Veganuary and 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 what led you to start the organization in the first place i mean the story began in the very well as a child really which was um my, my family on my mother's side were butchers and meat traders so i spent time in wow. sort of slaughterhouses and all that sort of stuff as a child and um sort of felt uncomfortable about eating meat but you know within society and with with the family that i had it was sort of eating meat was sort of um just normal and and very much um, explained as being necessary um, and natural. So we, uh, I, you know, I, I was a meat eater until I was 28. Then went vegetarian and um, became a vegan when I was 38, and it sort of really changed my life. Felt that I really wanted to do something to help animals and to help the planet. Myself and my wife came up with this idea of Veganuary, mm-hmm. which is uh, a vegan January campaign. It was very much inspired by Movember originally. So I'd taken part in that campaign and grown a mustache for the month. And uh, we just wanted to do something that had that same sort of vibe and feel, but that was going to be great for sort of animals. So we thought, well, best thing people can do is go vegan. And the best month potentially for that would be January because of New Year's resolutions and people eat way too much food at Christmas and it tends to be a time when people are thinking about the health more and everything. So, so that was it. That's, that's the, in a nutshell, very quick summary of, of how we got to where we are. So just going back to, to your personal story, yeah. you know, ultimately what we're all about is understanding how ordinary people go on to do extraordinary things. And what we found is the common thread is for all of them, there's always some kind of a life-changing experience. There's a moment or an experience that, that, that kind of literally changes the course of your life. What was that, that moment or that experience that you had that literally changed the course of your life, whether that was that led you to go vegan or to go on to set up January? Yeah, so I guess I spent most of my sort of 20s and early 30s concentrating on my business. I was focused on becoming a millionaire and... Um, all of that stuff, very much interested in success. And, um, what was your business? Just out of interest, what was it you were doing? Yeah, so in the early 20s, uh, with my brother, we set up a double glazing company, so windows, <laughs> doors, and conservatories. So I am a very ordinary person, Neil. I must so, get uh, uh, I just need to put this into context. Yeah. You are a double glazing salesman from Yorkshire. Correct. went on to set up probably the most successful vegan 
movement that, that is affecting change in modern society. That's absolutely fantastic. Well, we're certainly the, the, the biggest and the best vegan January campaign. I wouldn't like to go as far as to say what you suggested, but that's very kind of you. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I spent my, my, 20s selling plastic windows you know in a nutshell and uh, and we did okay we earned a living I had a family and everything else so my life was very much focused on that and then got to the mid 30s and you start thinking you know what is life all about and um, started being interested in charity work I guess I was um, got involved with a charity that was uh, helping orphaned and destitute children in India so I spent a lot of time in India traveling and you know helping these these projects um, but when I started finding out more about climate change and you know the environment and researching more about that I was that the life-changing moment was I, w I was on a website and it was about climate change and sort of oil and energy and all these things and there was a, a, a banner advert and it said the video the meat industry doesn't want you to see so as a vegetarian I just thought oh well this would be interesting so I just clicked on it um, but I thought there's nothing there that's going to be a problem because I'm already vegetarian. So um, I clicked on it and there was, it was about five minutes long and there were scenes of cruelty in, in the egg and the dairy industry, which, to be honest, I'd never even considered. You know, I'd, I'd never really thought about where milk came from other than it was from a cow. And, you know, cows look happy in fields and they lovingly give us this milk. And, uh, you know, that it was maybe a collaboration between us and the cows that was mutually beneficial. But the reality is that, well, cows need to be made pregnant once a year. They have a, a pregnancy cycle similar to human beings, um, that uh, it's a nine month pregnancy. So, and, and then the calves are taken away from the dairy cows, from the mothers, and it's quite a traumatic experience. And, and the male calves are quite often shot on site at the farms in summer. Uh, many are taken to slaughterhouses, others are, are taken and um, become the veal industry. And I was really shocked by that. I just didn't realize that. And then I looked at the egg industry and found out about hatcheries and how it's a similar scenario that the male chicks in hatcheries are of no use to the egg industry in the same way that male calves are of no use in the dairy industry because um, male chicks, uh, they can't lay eggs. So what they do is there's a production line and the females chicks go one way and the male chicks go the other way and uh, basically they're killed at birth and it it just seemed it just didn't seem right to me it just seemed very unjust so um, it started me on a period of discovery and, and learning about it and then I found out that environmentally it's a lot better for people to be on a plant-based diet so I joined the dots up and I thought well this makes a lot of sense that we should I should be going vegan personally but it also transformed my life as well where I started thinking not only me personally but I need to I need to spread the word here I need to get out there and talk to people about this and try and get more people to uh, to realize what's going on you know I have seen some of this footage now a lot of the footage that is floating around the internet is is from the US and their farming practices What's it like here in the UK? Some of the practices in the US are worse than the UK, but we certainly can't expect that we have great farming practices here. You know, like I said, there's 8,000, at least 8,000 calves that are shot on farms by farmers mm. every year. The male chicks still die. We cut the tails off pigs without anaesthetic uh, and we, we, we chop their teeth down again without anaesthetic. Um, myself and, and Jane, since we've become activists, we've visited 
factory farms ourselves and we've witnessed firsthand what is happening and and there is shocking cruelty and appalling conditions on many factory farms and the thing is also people have these images because the industry sells it to us they, they they show pictures of these happy hens and happy cows and what have you but the reality is that 95 percent of the farm animals are intensively raised in these these factory farms so it, it's it's not the reality I respect the fact that you're talking about experiences you've had personally, not something you've seen off the internet, because a lot of people things off, see off the, things off the internet and share it as fact. Yeah. And, you know, from, uh, you know, conversations we've had previously and things that I know that you've been involved with, you have actually done some undercover work as well. So you've gone out there and you've been able to gather the facts for yourself, yeah. which is, you know, really, really important because there is, particularly in this, in this era, there is a lot of emotion. And when the emotions ride high, uh, on either side of the, the, the conversation, you yeah. tend to get people that will actually have the, the, the reverse effect of what they're looking for, whatever your viewpoint is. And it's, I think it's really important that we do focus on the facts of the situation and ensure that people are able to make decisions based on that. Yeah. I mean, people are very defensive. Mm. Um, we're in a society where everybody eats meat um, because everybody eats meat. It's mm. like, um, it, you know... You mentioned that Melanie Joy was, you've done the podcast and she explains it way better than I do. But the reality is that it, it's society is so invested in it and people are so invested in it and they just don't want to know. People just don't want to hear about these, this information, but it doesn't change the reality of what is happening to farm animals. So, I mean, 200 years ago, 250 years ago, I would have said 95% of the population agreed with slavery. It was, they, they considered it to be normal, natural and necessary. And there were people that started campaigning against this and eventually it was, I mean, there's still slavery today, obviously, but, you know, society has moved on and, you know, modern day vegans are very similar to those very early abolitionists in the same way as the suffragettes as well. We're, mm. we're, innovators and early adopters in a, a social justice movement that at the moment society doesn't understand but you know unfortunately the reality for farm animals we just can't move away from that it's getting worse and worse as prices are driven down and there's competition and supermarkets are trying to get milk at the lowest possible price conditions are getting worse for farm animals they're not getting any better and it, it, you know, if people think about it, really, and they do the research, it's, it's uncivilized. How we treat factory farm animals is highly un uncivilized. And absolutely. And obviously, then there's the, the whole kind of environmental aspect. I've seen some of the facts that you've got on the Veganuary website about climate change, about the negative impact on the environment that animal agriculture causes. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? In a nutshell, animal agriculture is responsible, according to the United Nations, for... 14.5% uh, of greenhouse gas emissions. So this is from, you know, the whole production line of, of animal agriculture. So it would include how much it, um, energy is used by tractors, you know, the slaughterhouses, the processing plants. But it also takes into account the deforestation that is happening. Mm. It takes into account the ruminating of the cows with the methane. The nitrous oxide, which is a really potent greenhouse gas, which comes from the waste from livestock. So th that 14.5% is actually higher than all transportation combined. So, you know, adding planes, trains, automobiles together, 
animal agriculture is more than that. And the, the thing is, it doesn't get talked about. And it's, it's, it's weird, really, because it's such a quick win for um, the world and for individuals. To mm. there's, there's been research that suggests that we can half our green out dietary greenhouse gas emissions if we adopted a plant-based diet. Wow. Um, so, you know, <clears throat> there is people talking and some of the environmental agencies will talk about reducing our meat intake and our dairy intake, which is clearly a step in the right direction. But at the end of the day, we need to, we need to go fully plant-based. Mm. Um, so the de deforestation, for example, 90% of the Amazon destruction is as a result of animal agriculture. It's clearing land for uh, animals to graze and to grow crops to feed those animals. You know, it's not, it, it's not uh, printing paper. It's not from making furniture. It's, it's animal agriculture that is the problem here. And it's the same throughout the world, not just the Amazon. And, and you look in this country as well. You know, we're eating away at nature all of the time. There's very little nature left in this country. Globally, um, in the time that I've been alive and you've been alive, Neil, half of the species on this planet have been eradicated and it is agriculture that is the main cause of this and animal agriculture is the leading cause of species extinction loss of biodiversity it's really sad to see animal agriculture is killing the planet that that for me is probably the most devastating part of the whole animal ag agriculture industry is yeah. the the devastating impact it's having on the environment you know there's a lot of people particularly after the whole Al Gore uh, movie came out, um, forgotten the name of it now, The, the, the Truth, Truth. yeah. Everyone was like, oh yes, we need to do something about the environment. But then when you point the finger back and say, well actually you can do something, and then your choices in life are contributing to this, all of a sudden people aren't quite so in favor. And that I find quite interesting because it benefits obviously the environment, but also your health. What are the benefits that people can expect by taking up a vegan lifestyle, both mentally, physically, and emotionally? Yeah, well, interestingly, when I went vegan, um, I didn't really consider the health side of it. I just, I just decided that I needed to eat different food. But um, a nice side effect was I lost uh, probably about 10% of my body fat, which was uh, great. So I, I dropped from 13 and a half stone down to about 11 and a half, 12 stone. And then I've kept that healthy weight ever since. So uh, and in the last seven years, I don't think I've had a cold. I can't remember having one. You know, I don't get ill very often. And, and that's something that you hear from vegans a lot. When we, um, people take part in Veganuary, one of the things that we do is we survey everybody in uh, February to find out how they've got on during the month. And we ask them lots of questions about, you know, the, the difficulties they found during the month and what have you. But one of the questions that we ask is, how do you feel? You know, what is your health like in February compared to what it was like before you started this vegan trial, if you like. Mm. And we had 10,000 people that did the survey in February last year. And of those people that answered the question, 97% of people said they felt healthier. Only 3% said that they felt worse as a result of doing Veganuary. Wow. So, you know, I think you mentioned also that you've been chatting with Dr. Michael Greger, um, or are you intend to? And yeah, we spoke to him last he, time. He's going to be able to advise you on this way better than I am. But my understanding is that uh, vegans tend to have a, a longer potential lifespan. They're, they're going to live longer than vegetarians and certainly longer than people eating meat. 
there's going to be a lower incidence of heart disease, type 2 diabetes, uh, cancers, uh, Alzheimer's. In terms of mental health, which you, you touched on, that is something that we get a lot uh, when people take part in, in Veganuary. They feel the, the term lighter is used a lot. And that's not just physically, but emotionally lighter. Like a, a weight has been lifted off them. They're sleeping better. They just feel more themselves, you know. So, I mean, I, I recommend it. I mean, whenever I'm around vegans, they're the healthiest looking people around. It's, it's just the way it is. And, and funnily enough, society thinks the opposite, that we're pasty looking and uh, unhealthy. But it's, it's quite the opposite in reality. Yeah, it's interesting that people have a stereotypical image of what a vegan is. And often it is way off the mark. You know, I, I, I got to meet uh, Patrick, uh, I can never pronounce his surname, Baboumian. That's correct, yeah. Yes. Uh, I, I met him at VegFest. And, you know, the world's strongest man. And he's doing it off a plant-based diet. David Hay, the boxer. And, you know, there, there's so many people out there that are, you know, elite professional athletes that have been able to do it on a plant-based diet. And I, I find it fascinating that the, the general image is they're weak and weedy and have got no energy. But the reality is that, you know, some of the, the, the fittest, strongest people I've met have been doing so on a plant-based diet. Yeah, and it's ironic, really, that the first question you get asked when you say you're vegan is, where do you get it's your protein? protein. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, God, if I had £10 for every time I've been asked that question. But, you know, the reality is that, you know, as, as you've suggested there, some of, you know, it's not just those, but it's like the Williams sisters in tennis, at least yeah. the training on a plant-based diet. The same with Novak Djokovic. Some of the um, best endurance athletes that are out there, Scott Jurek. If you've yeah. read his book, Eat and Run, and he, he was beating all of the competition in the early 2000s at ultramarathons, running 150-mile races and just um, wiping the floor with the competition and doing it all plant-based. So, you know, I'm not saying that it's definitely in terms of fitness and endurance, it, it's the right way, but at, at the very minimum, I would suggest that you can, you can perform very well on a whole food plant-based diet without a doubt absolutely I, I i made the decision uh to go vegan halfway through training for an iron man triathlon okay i didn't know that and at the time my coach said i was mental she said wait until you've done the race before you do this and i was like i'm very much when i decide to do something i will do it and I, i'm an overnight vegan i've never been vegetarian i ate meat my whole life till the day that i stopped eating meat and then i woke up the next day and that's it i'm done and i'm vegan. Yeah. i had a bit of a spiritual experience uh but it was the right thing and what i found is literally within the first three or four weeks after making that decision at that point i was training 25 to 30 hours a week and i had more energy i was recovering from races quicker i'd do a hundred mile bike ride on the sunday and then get up the next day and run a half marathon as part of my training and I'd feel fine. And I remember literally a couple of weeks before doing the same thing and really struggling. And it was amazing how much quickly your body recovers from ex extended periods of activity on a plant-based diet, how much better I was sleeping. And, you know, I made the decision at the time I was going to be vegan until I'd done the, the race. And then I'd consider my options. So it was like a six, seven month period. I, obviously, I got to the stage where it was like there was no way I was going back. I was really lucky that a couple of uh, fascinating uh, professional athletes reached out. Brendan Brazier was one of them. He sent me a copy of his book. And we, you know, it was really amazing for me that people in the vegan community, even really well known professional athletes, 
are willing to reach out and, and, and talk to you and, and help and support and how supportive the community is of people are, that are looking to transition. That, that's another thing that I really wanted to, to talk to you about because I know you've got your new book out, uh, How to Go Vegan, right? Is that yes, exactly, yeah. I, I didn't bring one with me actually. I'm just looking around the room. So I haven't got one that I can show you, but um, it, and, and it's also, it's, it, it's, um, it's done really well. We, we got 5,000 printed and Amazon took 3,000 and they sold out within about three or four days. So Amazon is currently being restocked and there's another print run being, uh, in fact, there's two reprints organized already, so it's gone amazingly well. It, it was, um, up until running out of stock, we were in the top 20 on Amazon uh, of all books, so a number one in animal rights and the environment and all that stuff. So it's gone really well. The book is How to Go Vegan, the why, the how, and everything you need to make going vegan easy. That's the strap line. And the reason I wanted to mention that is because when I went vegan, I had no idea what to do. And also I was doing it at a time where I had to be very conscious about what I was putting in and, you know, you, that whole where do you get your protein from and this, that and the other. And I was really lucky I came across some amazing uh, sort of vegan sports nutrition brands like Brendan Brazier's Vega, like Sun Warrior. There's yeah. plenty out there to be able to fuel you, even if you're a professional athlete. Yeah. Um, but the one bit that, that, that I wasn't really sure about is you know, how to transition into a, a vegan uh, kind of plant-based lifestyle um, when there is a, so much conflicting information out there. You also have to change your relationship with food. And there, you, you know, what I wanted to get from you, having uh, you know, now written this very, very successful book um, that, that, that you guys have put together, what would be the best way to, to, to approach this? So people have different journeys towards veganism. It's interesting that you mentioned that you sort of did it overnight without going vegetarian. There are lots of people like myself and my wife, Jane, who were vegetarians first and, uh, and then transitioned that way. You know, I would say there isn't a right or a wrong way to do it. There's a whole reducitarian movement, which suggesting that people should gradually reduce their consumption. You know, I, I, I'm supportive of that. I don't criticize that movement. Um, for us, we, we've made the decision to promote Veganuary, so to, to give people the opportunity to take a pledge, you know, to try it for a month. We don't say to people, go vegan, give it a go for a month, just that one month and see how you feel. So that, that's our chosen route to market, if you like, is through that pledge scenario. But there isn't a right or a wrong way of doing it, I would say, just as long as we can move society in that right direction. Because, you know, at the moment, Vegans are maybe 1% of the population in the UK. Mm. If you add vegans and vegetarians together, we're maybe 5% of the population. You know, there's then surveys suggesting that flexitarians and meat reducers are maybe 25 to 30% of the population. I think, you know, if we, can, if we can increase the amount of people that are reducing consumption, increase the numbers of vegetarians and increase the numbers of vegans, then gradually we're moving society in that right direction. The knock-on effect of that is the companies out there, the commercial companies that are making products are always going to be looking to meet demand. And if there is more demand for products for vegans or people that are transitioning to that kind of a lifestyle, we're yeah. suddenly going to find that our shelves are being stocked with products that are going to make it easier for us. Because I remember like, you know, when I first went vegan, it was really hard to get, you know, other than maybe like a, a soya milk or the occasional coconut milk, you know, getting cheese and yogurts and things wasn't easy. And that was only four years ago. Now there are literally aisles dedicated to this. So we've come a long way in a short period of time. Yeah, absolutely. I, I went vegan six or seven years ago. And I remember 
spending a lot of time driving up and down the motorways. And if ever I went to a service station, it was, you know, peanuts and, and uh, fruit juice or something was, was all I was able to eat, maybe get an apple or something. Whereas now you've got Waitrose and Marks and Spencers that have got vegan options in there, um, Subway, obviously. But then also you look at the uh, chain restaurants now. We've, we've put a, a blog post out on veganuary.com where we've promoted the, the top 20 chain restaurants uh, for during January. And, you know, most of them now have got vegan menus or they've got multiple vegan options on, mm -hmm. on the menus, which is massive progress. And, you know, a lot of these chains are very keen to engage with us, which is great. Mm. They see January has been a quiet month for restaurants. So if they can suddenly get, you know, all Absolutely. these January participants and vegans coming down for the special offers and stuff, they see that as great news. So we know we've made progress when McDonald's <laughs> to stock a McVegan. Now, don't get me wrong. You're never going to catch me dead in a McDonald's. But no. the fact that they've made that decision has shown that there is enough demand. There's enough people out there that are looking for options. And you know what? Fair play. If there's someone that, you know, like likes to go to McDonald's and they've got a choice, it, it all helps. We absolutely need to work with these organizations to get more and more plant-based options. It just lowers the bar in terms of how easy it is to become a vegan and you know convenience is understandably something that people uh, have concerns about that you know they want to be able to grab something at Pret or they want to be able to go to a restaurant and you know not just have chips and salad um, which yeah. is you know very much what it was like six or seven years ago but it's changed so it's making it easier our conversion rate with Veganuary in, you know, in terms of the amount of people that do Veganuary and then stick with it from February onwards has been improving every year. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because it's becoming easier in society to do that. So, by the way, a bit of a plug for Veganuary, but you can do it any time. Um, <laughs> you don't have to wait now until next January. So we, we, if anybody wants to sign up on our website, then they can have the full Veganuary experience, whether it's February the 1st or March the 2nd or whenever. That, that's wonderful because there are people that will be listening to this uh, on uh, kind of a, a replay because yes. uh, this is going to be up on our, our podcast channel and on YouTube. So if you are listening to this and it's not January anymore, you know, please, please, please go onto the Veganuary website and you can start anytime you want. And, you know, for, for someone that is starting, is doing Veganuary or is looking to start the, the pledge, what are the top five tips that you'd give uh, to, to kind of keep them on the program? I know you've got probably hundreds, but what are kind of the key things that you would suggest to someone uh, to, to really help them with this process? Uh, top tip number one would be buy the book, How to Go <laughs> Vegan, because we really, the, the book has got... Um, so much information about firstly why you should be giving it a go, but also it's got meal plans, it's got nutrition advice, it's got how to read label information, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Secondly, have a look at our website. I mean, we've got an eating out guide on there. We've got a vegan starter kit. We've got, um, we've got a myths section. So because when you go vegan, a lot of people are going to be asking you questions like, yeah, but what's going to happen to all the animals if we don't eat them? You know, so we've answered that question and all the other questions that you're going to get asked. So I would then think about um, spending some time doing some research. You know, if, for example, you're interested in the health angle, then read some books on that topic. You know, Dr. Michael Greger's How Not to Die book mm. is a great place to start. You know, watch What the Health and Forks Over Knives on Netflix. 
you know, go to uh, nutritionfacts.org and have a look at the information on there because, you know, there's so much science supporting health. If it's the animals, then if you can stomach it, watch Earthlings. Mm. But certainly just have a look at, uh, at some of these uh, websites and try and understand the issues, I guess. Another tip would be to get involved in the community, join some Facebook groups and connect with other like-minded people because it's di very difficult being vegan on your own. Yes. We're, it's a society where people, you know, vegans at the moment are such a small proportion of the society and you can be, you know, people can make fun of you and all that type of thing. So having support from other like-minded people is so important. I've, I've, is that five or four? We yeah. don't have that. There is one that I want to pick up on. Um, is the community and the support. Yeah. I think this is important. You know, we talked about conditioning and people believe, you know, certain ways of living and certain lifestyle choices because that's the way everybody does things. So, yes, you know, we're conditioned in a particular way. Now, when somebody comes out with a new way or a new approach, change leaders in the past, whether it was Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King, Mahatma Gandhi, etc. Often they're attacked for their views. Um, and, and we can find that, you know, with people that are, are actively promoting a, a plant-based vegan lifestyle. But I've also found the reverse of that. And I, I think when it comes to resistance, resistance can be twofold. It could be that, you know, people that eat meat are resisting your perspective or it can be that people are so militant with their views and they're literally forcing it down people's throats that you can actually turn people off to the whole kind of vegan uh, approach. And I know a lot of people that have been against a vegan lifestyle because they have a stereotypical image of what a vegan is like. I was that person once yeah. upon a time. And if I come across you six years ago, Matthew, and, and you said to me you were vegan, I, I would have said to you, but what about bacon, though? Or where did you get your protein? I was that person. I would have, too. Me too, Neil. I would have made fun of you for it. Yeah. And I've started to realize that actually, if we've got, you know, there's people that say, I'm fighting for peace. I have learned you cannot fight for peace. You can only love for peace. Because if you're going, if you're attacking someone for their views on war, you are coming at it with fight. Does that make sense? And yeah. this is where I want to bring that love and compassion to our community so we can reach out and positively encourage and motivate people to look at the way we live in our lives because it's good for them, it's good for the environment, it's good for the animals, and everybody benefits rather than attacking them for their views. Now, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, the, the, you know, what is the best way to reach people? Yeah, so with Veganuary, we try uh, to be friendly, pragmatic, non-judgmental. The reality is that all of the team at Veganuary used to be meat eaters. Um, we see the society, or you know, most of my friends and family are meat eaters. I love them. I don't see them as evil. Mm. I see them as pre-gans pre-vegan <laughs> love it so, yeah. you know all, all of these people that i love to bits they're just they haven't quite made that connection yet and and that's you know you need to give them time we need to give all of people's time to make that connection and it can be frustrating i do understand why people get so passionate about it i'm very Absolutely. passionate myself because you know there is a lot of suffering going on and it, and it, it is upsetting when you've, you know, you, you, you try and explain things to friends and family and they don't get it. But 
as you've just suggested, the only way we're going to do this is through love and compassion ourselves and respecting and understanding. I mean, we, we do be, we are accused of being preachy as vegans. Mm. And Absolutely. Some vegans do go completely over the top with, with that. Um, on the flip side, you know, we're in a society where 99% of people are not vegan. There's so much advertising out there from the meat and the dairy industries, which more than dwarfs this, our small community. So we do, we do need to get that message out there. But So it's a fine balancing act, I guess, is what I'm saying. I get it on both sides. The, when you have, as I would describe it, woken up to the reality of the situation and you get passionate um, yes, you know, sometimes it can stir deep emotions, anger, frustration, you want to do something about it. But sometimes in our quest to be able to make a difference, our actions, our passionate actions can have the reverse effect of what we're looking for. Because yeah. yeah. attacking someone for their lifestyle choices, you know, is not necessarily going to result in them going out and saying, I'm going to go vegan. It's probably going to result in them going out and eating a steak. You know, that I think is really important that we do consider that once upon a time, many of us, very few of us came into the world as vegans. You know, most of the people I've come across that have adopted this lifestyle had a moment or an experience that, that, that led them to making this choice. So at some stage, they were on the other side of the fence. And yeah. it's really important that we remember that. And it's, you know, it's that whole, I know that there's a lot of great jokes. I'm going to actually ask you for some in a minute, but there's a lot of great vegan jokes. You know, one, someone said to me the other day, how do you know when someone's vegan? Well, they'll tell you. Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, you must get a lot of stuff thrown at you. What's the, what's the best vegan jokes you've had? Um, how many dairy farmers does it take to change a light bulb? I have no idea. None, because they like to keep you in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's the only one. I mean, you know, in terms of where we are as a movement, what's that phrase? First they ignore you, then they laugh at you, and then you win. Yeah. And I think we, you know, we were ignored for a long time. I think maybe there's, there's a little bit of laughing at us at the moment. Piers Morgan, I don't know if you've seen him on Twitter today yeah. in the last few days, but he's been really, um, you know, making fun of, of vegans and, you know, stirring things and stoking the fire. And, uh, and it's not good. It's not healthy. But at the end I of the day... I disagree. I think it's great. Do you? I, yeah, and there's a reason for it. Because the very fact that he's talking about this is raising awareness of our yeah. work and our movement. So thank you, Piers Morgan. Keep up the good work. We want to see more of it. And one thing we haven't touched on yet is we're increasing awareness without a doubt. We're definitely moving in the right direction. But as with the slavery movement before us, there was also, there was a, people were becoming more aware and there was, you know, political momentum behind it but it, there was also technological advances that helped free the slaves mm. and and that is likely to happen in this movement as well and, and then there's of course there's cultured meat uh the, you know the um you know where where meat can be grown basically inside of these like breweries basically um so you know i'm hopeful that a technological revolution will coming come along and, and really help bring that movement or bring veganism to the mainstream a lot quicker than maybe what it would do without it i think that is the key thing because there are so many incredible alternatives either plant-based or the cultured meats yeah which mean that people can still have access to their favorite foods 
day before yesterday, I had pulled pork. It was absolutely fantastic by a company called Vivera. It yep. looks like the real thing. It smells like the real thing. It tastes like the real thing. It's got the right texture, but yep. it's completely plant-based. And yep. I'm one of those people that I used to enjoy meat. Don't get me wrong. Like, you know, I made a conscious decision not to eat it, but oh, I, you know, you know, I used to really enjoy it. I used to love getting up on Sunday morning and having scrambled eggs. And thankfully, yep. companies like Follow Your Heart have made an incredible vegan egg product, which is based yep. on algae protein, which looks like, smells like the same thing, it's got the right texture, and I can have my scrambled eggs on Sunday morning. So I think yeah. this is important. If we want people to transition, we need to give them familiarity and have those, as Dr. Michael Greger said to me the other day, the transition foods. So yeah. you've got a like-for-like replacement. No, exactly. I like to have a, a burger and a sausage myself. So, you know, and for the same, you know, I, I didn't give up eating meat because I didn't like the taste of it. It was it was the cruelty, it was the environment, it was just I had to start boycotting it because I didn't agree with that. Yeah. So just a, a last couple of things I wanted to talk to you about. Um, let's, let's bust a few myths because there's lots of people out there that have got kind of certain preconceived beliefs and ideas about what a vegan lifestyle is about. Obviously the first one, the one that every vegan gets pretty much every day of their life. Where do you get your protein from? Yeah, so, I mean, you can get it from beans, you can get it from broccoli, you can get it from kale, soya-based products, obviously. I mean, protein's in everything. I mean, we go directly to the source. We don't recycle it through an animal, basically. And if you look at other herbivores mm. on the planet, you know, like horses and elephants and buffalo and gorillas, you know, they, they're getting their protein, aren't they? They're not having to eat other animals to do that. So it really is the biggest myth out there. And obviously we've talked about Patrick Baboumian mm -hmm. and, uh, and all these other athletes. Um, you know, plant-based protein is better for you. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't come associated with all of the saturated fats and the cholesterol and everything else. So it really isn't a problem. And you look at countries that, like the US, I mean, they're obsessed with getting their protein in the US, and it really isn't working out for them, is it, in terms of the health of the nation? So, you know, yeah. we as a society need to, to move away from thinking about protein, think about, you know, fiber. I mean, we're not getting enough fiber in our diets. That's a bigger problem. So that's one thing I've said to people in the past is, you know, when they've said, well, where do you get your protein from? I said, well, where do you get your fiber from? Where do you get your nutrients and your vitamins and what have you? Because, you know, don't worry about me, worry about yourself. And uh, let's pick up on the, the vitamins and nutrients. Uh, the other one that, that often gets thrown around is, but calcium, iron, vitamin B12, you can only get that from animals. Yeah. So I'm not a nutritionist, um, but my, my understanding is that if you just eat, uh, a whole food plant-based diet, you know, with a variety, a balanced diet. Um, they talk about a rainbow, so try and get as many colors on your plate as possible. Not so much beige, but you know, <laughs> greens and reds and oranges, you know, if, you, if you're gonna do all of that, then you know, you're gonna get everything that you need pretty much. And the last one I've got in terms of the myths, or the, the things that get thrown at vegans, but bacon though. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there, there are there's some bacon alternatives out there now. Yeah. I mean, I, I went into a, a pig farm recently and how pigs are treated is just, it was a disgrace. There were 
you know, they have these far farrowing crates where the mother pigs spend six weeks to two months not able to turn around uh, or move, and they give birth to the, the piglets. Um, and uh, many of the piglets alongside their, their mother were, were dead. Uh, there was dead baby piglets strewn all over. There was maggots and there was rats. It was the most disgusting place I've ever been and I think if people that 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 say well yeah but what about bacon I would recommend them to to, to go and look at some of these factory farms where these pigs are, are, are being um, reared and bred it's it's horrendous so I that is something that I don't ever feel I miss is bacon personally yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I haven't eaten bacon for many years even before I went vegan yeah uh, purely because I encountered a pig uh, and I found this to be more intelligent than dogs yeah, I, the lovely creatures. Yeah, I could not bring myself to eat a pig after that. What we do to pigs is horrendous. So, as an individual, you've got someone that has decided to go vegan. How is their decision to adopt a plant-based lifestyle going to make a difference? Well, the average person in the UK eats 11,000 animals during a lifetime. So, let's say you're listening to this podcast and you're 25 years old. And on average, people live until they're 80, let's say. So you've got 55 years of not eating animals. So you're going to spare, I've done the maths on this, but you're going to save five or 6,000 animals from having to go through suffering on factory farms or plucked out of the oceans. You know, so every individual can make a difference. There's impact then in terms of environmentally. We as a society need to move in this direction. So it needs people to join us. We need to grow from 1% to 2% to 3%. And, you know, once we reach tipping points, then it'll be a much better place where there isn't all of this suffering. So, you know, people can make a difference. And also what I would say is if they go vegan and then start spreading the words in effective, you know, in an effective way, like uh, how I feel we are doing with Veganuary, then you can multiply your impact. If you can get one other person to go vegan as well as yourself, you've doubled your impact. So it's not extreme as quite often people suggest it is. It's healthy, it's compassionate, it's better for the planet. It's really, it's a no-brainer. Uh, absolutely, and I, re I remember the, the, the speaking to you previously where you were talking about the maths of you, you know, how Veganuary has grown from year to year and at the current rates of growth. How long is it before we've made the whole world vegan? We've been roughly doubling every, or slightly more than doubling every uh, year. So I'd worked out that if we carry on at that growth, then by 2028, everybody in the world will be doing Veganuary. <laughs> I mean, all joking aside, you know, we, we need to try and keep the momentum going. Um, but we're getting there. And all the things are working in our favour. You know, whether you do it for a month or you adopt this lifestyle permanently, we are voting with our wallets. You know, for every pound we spend, we're voting for the future we want. Now, if we're, if we're spending those pounds on animal products, we're voting for a future where animals continue to suffer. But if we're putting that money into products that are part of a healthy plant-based lifestyle, then obviously the manufacturers that make these products are going to invest more time and energy in developing those kind of products. So you, we do get to make a difference and we do get to work together to create the world that we want rather than sitting around looking at the TV and reading the papers and complaining about things as well, yeah. you, you know, you have an opportunity to be, to be a part of the solution. If people want more information, where should they go? What are the resources that you can recommend? 
The two, basically. So we, people can find out more about uh, Veganuary at veganuary.com. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can sign up there, but there's also all the information. We've got nutrition plans. We've got recipes. We've got product directory. We've got loads of information there. Secondly, um, buy the book, How to Go Vegan. It's on Amazon. It's also at Waterstones. You can buy it off the shelf in Waterstones. And also local bookshops as well are stocking it. People want to connect with me, then they should be able to find me on Facebook and Twitter if they just look for Matthew Glover Veganuary. Wonderful. Well, listen, it's a real, real pleasure to catch up with you. We are going to catch up again after um, January's out of the way and once the Week. dust is settled, and we'll, we'll find out how you got on and we'll be able to kind of reflect back on all the stories that have come up through during this Veganuary. For, for all our wonderful listeners, uh, once again, hashtag life changing conversations. Uh, like, comment, share, um, and tell us your stories. If you are doing Veganuary, share your experiences with us or any other life-changing experiences that you've had or stories that you'd like to share. Use our platform to do so. Looking forward to the next podcast we've got coming up. Um, the, 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 we've got Melly Joy that will be coming up very, very soon um, and lots of other fantastic names. Have a wonderful day.